I am Divian. I'm a compulsive reader. I want to thank Atusa for asking me to share with you. For those of you who don't know me, I have been abstinent 36 years um, from sugar. It's like a real abstinence. <laughs> uh, the other day, I was listening to a program and they were saying, you know, maybe there isn't a God. And I thought, wow, maybe there isn't a God. And then I thought, I don't eat sugar. You know, I don't eat sugar. And I could not stop eating sugar. And I have another addiction. It asked about on this paper that you fill out it says you have multiple addictions so I will I will mention in case any, it helps anyone that I'm not only absent in AA I'm in OA 36 years I'm also sober in AA uh, 31 years and um, and, I, and I go to Al-Anon so I'll just say that <coughs> and all of these things have been removed <laughs> so I know there's a God there is a higher power or these things would continue to plague me just like Barbara said she was not able to follow a food plan like I'd heard of all sorts of wonderful diets like you know perhaps eating lunch instead of skipping it and then having you know binging later but I could not do anything like that so when I I'll qualify a little um, when I came to Overeaters Anonymous I was about 20 pounds heavier I um, all I thought about was I wanted to be in I never wore jeans, by the way. The fact that I'm wearing blue jeans today, that was another. And I never went to the bathing. I never wore a bathing suit. I didn't. The first time I wore a bathing suit in years is when I went to the OA. We had a beach um, time when we would go on and we'd sit on towels near each other because we were not practicing putting on bathing suits. That was me. I, could, I, would, I would wear big coats, even though I was 20 pounds heavier, you would think I was hundreds of pounds heavier. In my mind, I was. In my mind, I looked horrible. I looked disgusting. Um, welcome. Uh, in my mind, I was consumed by this disease. And How do I get up and, you know, was I bad last night? Meaning, did I eat too much? Did I binge? Or was I good? Did I starve myself? That was my definition of being good. Did I starve myself? And I, most of the time, you guys, I could not do that. I, I was not an anorexic. I was a garden variety compulsive overeater. Just couldn't. I was just consumed by food and food thoughts. So when I came, um, I graduated college. Pretty much, sugar is my big deal. Sugar. So my my definition of my abstinence when I came here, they were like, you know, just like the alcoholic stops drinking. What is your abstinence? And I found it from well, first of all, my sponsor Barbara Z. May she may she rest in peace. May she be flying about this meeting because she was very funny. Um, she suggested to me because she saw me one day. Uh, we were out just together, and <clears throat> it was a, a banquet table, and there was this. She said, like, raisin pie. It really looked disgusting. But it was like a, a, a holiday banquet, and nobody was eating the poor, lonely raisin pie. <laughs> I took pity on it, finally. I didn't, you will not come into this world for no reason. And I ate the raisin pie, just because I couldn't stand it, it was sitting there. And it had been sitting there for like an hour, and no one had touched it. And she's like, what happened to that piece of pie? I was like, I ate it. And she's like, and she was a hundred pounder. And that was the first time she realized, she's like, oh my God, you really are one of us. <laughs> and, and she knew, she suggested to me, Vivian, why don't you have this, your abstinence, no sugar. And I just thought, I was like, oh, Barbara, I can't. That's, that's an exact quote. 
And she said, she was so smart. She said to me, well, you know, sometimes some people can take it back. Sometimes they're able to eat sugar again. Why don't you just try it for 30 days? I was like, really, Barbara? They can eat sugar again? <laughs> and she's like, yes, some people can. Probably thinking to herself, but not you, kid. <laughs> but I held on to that, and I was, pr- I was praying. They, um, this program is about reaching out to a higher power. I did not. I was an agnostic when I came here. I did not disbelieve or believe in God. I felt like it was an argument that went nowhere, and I didn't really want to talk about it anymore. And because there are good reasons that there is a God, like you know, E equals MC squared, and then there is that you know, why does the universe work so well? And then there's bad reasons, like why do babies die, and why do you know, why was Manuel Noriega not punished? Um, you know, things like this. So I didn't want to talk about it anymore, but they told me that this is what I had to do in order to lose weight, which is really my only goal. Like, I just wanted to stop being fat. That was my goal. And so I talked to this guy that I felt embarrassed to talk to. I felt like, this is embarrassing. Like, then I, but uh, as Barbara pointed out, my sponsor, so if you're new, the first thing I did was get a sponsor, and I st- stuck with the winners, of which Jack S., who's in front row, is one of those winners, and we are, we've both been asking now many, many years, so if you keep coming back, here's another uh, proof that this works. Anyway, they, they said, just, just do it anyway. You know, just, um, it's called acting as if. I would have called that lying. <laughs> but they said, here, I want you to look at it this way. This is acting as if, even though you don't believe it, just do it anyway. And I would have done anything to not be fat anymore. So I did. And I, I remember very well, uh, my first day of absence, I was in Cafe Casino, which was, oh, thank you, long time people. That was a huge OA hangout because they had a lot of really healthy food, but there was also this pastry case <laughs> of all French pastry in it. And they had a bunch of them. There were a few, it was a chain with like a lot of nice locations. And there was this one in Westwood, and I was taking the bus then because I'm from the East Coast. I did not know that cars were like, it's like living in a country, you know, in California. And LA is like a, an entire state. But I didn't realize that. Anyway, I got off the bus. And I was walking into Cafe Casino because I, I had not started my abstinence yet, and I felt like something sweet, that, that big urge would come over me where I knew I had to go out and get something. And I walked in, and I did what they, they told me to do. Um, I started praying in my head. I just was like, oh, God, God, please help me to not you know, eat this, uh, whatever is in the pastry case now. And it wasn't like I felt a big flash of lightning. But I walked out. I walked out of Cafe Casino, and I didn't have the pastries in the pastry case. And that turned out to be my first day of abstinence. And later on, it became like lifted the way they talk about in the big book, where we're placed in a position of neutrality, where we feel like we're neither fighting it um, nor um, nor being uh, boastful about it that's not the exact word but something like that and it's just not a problem for us anymore that's exactly what my experience has been with, uh, with this um, so my abstinence now and I do eat um, things that so my abstinence is sugar can't be the first three in the first three ingredients 
you know, for those of you who struggle with sugar. And why was it that? Because my favorite sal- diet salad dressing, and I hated salads when I came here. I liked cheesecake, ice cream, cookies. Like salads were on the bottom of my list. <laughs> and my favorite diet salad dressing that helped me to eat healthily. Oh, was that your wife? Oh, great. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Helped me to eat salads. So it was creamy cucumber dressing by Kraft. And it had sugar was the fourth ingredient. So that was how I came up with that. And Barbara said, okay, good idea. And to this day, um, I don't eat anything with sugar, any kind of sugar, as the first three ingredients. I just count the labels. It can't be, you know. They were always coming up with new names for sugar. <laughs> Which just shows you how much everyone wants to eat it, but nobody wants to admit they're eating it. <laughs> uh, like, no, you know, cane juice or pure cane something, or sucrose, flucrose, whatever, whatever these names are. I just, I, they don't fool me. Uh, it has to be the fourth or more. And that has made a big difference. Um, in my ability to live in the world. Not only my weight, but my ability to live in the world. So I have like 15 minutes left. I'm going to go through, um, I think my, what do I go through? I can either go through um, relationships. Um, I can either go through one of the promises. Okay, one of the promises. I'm going to like, let you have a vote. My, my, I, I stole my roommate's mother's engagement ring once. And uh, I got, when my amends from that gave me um, financial freedom, uh, freedom from financial worry. That's one. Or there's jobs. I could not do jobs until I got here, and my sponsor gave me um, advice that gave me, got me through jobs, or, um, which, which is still the best advice I've ever gotten, or um, my relationship with my parents. Okay, so there's engagement ring. Let me see your hands. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> parents. Job. Wow. Okay. Everybody here needs a job. Okay. All right. So I'm going to lead off with job. Okay. So when I got to this program, I was a terrible worker. This was, I, I graduated from Georgetown University and I thought because of this, you owed me a wonderful job. Period. Um, even though I was afraid to work, my attitude was, I am so much smarter than you, but please don't give me anything more difficult than Xeroxing papers because I'm actually afraid I can't do it. I was really good at school, but I was not good at working. I was also always late. I was always late to work. I got these jobs. I found water seeks its own level, which to me means I found all these jobs where you could go in at crazy hours and nobody would fire you. Where I was like my first job out of college, I was basically taking um, irate complaint calls from people at Communicom, um, which was a, an old cable operator where nobody's cable TV worked, and I would just call the phone company all day and tell them to come and fix it, and then go to the buffet with the uh, at Sizzler with the guy that um, that came in to fix the phones and eat everything <laughs> at the Sizzler. Um, anyway, my sponsor um, told me. Uh, here she goes I want you to do two things you're doing a um, terrible job at work and here I decided to give my work to God now how do I know I gave it to God because I was willing to do what my sponsor said I did not try and do it my way I was trying to I was willing to do it your way whatever your way was and she said I want you to do two things Vivian I want you to get up I want you to get there on time and I want you to smile all day 
And all I did was complain to her all day about how terrible my job was. But I took this seriously. I was like, okay, so if you're, if you're a late person like me, getting there on time means you have to get there early, which is just for we that are the, you know, of the night and like to stay up late. That is a dreadful proposition. But I did it. I got up earlier and I got there on time. Um, either early or on time and I went through the day smiling so instead of when this was in time when there were there was like one computer that one person would do to um, type everything up but everything nobody got, computers at that time were like typewriters and everybody else would um, use, so that would get typed up and then somebody would have to Xerox a whole bunch of copies so my boss would say so I was a low person on the totem pole and my boss would be like here Vivian Xerox this and my you know, my, my attitude before was I would read whatever uh, he or she had written and think, I am, like I said, I am so much smarter than you. I should have your job. <laughs> but please don't ask me to do anything more than that. And then, and then now when I got the piece of paper, instead of like, instead of looking at the ground, thinking, oh, yeah, of course. Instead of doing that, I, I smiled. And I was like, I'd love to. And I run to the Xerox machine and I put the paper on there and I tried to put it so that it was perfectly down there and, and do it as fast as I could with the copies not being all dog-eared, being nice and straight. And I felt like, good job. And I took a little pat in the back and then run over and give it to my boss. And I just smiled all day. And I remember there was one person there who was very negative and I stopped communicating with her. I, just was, I stopped being her friend, her office friend. Because I found that people that were negative were not good for me smiling all day. And, and that was my sponsor's um, direction. And do you know, you guys, I, my, my two bosses called me into their office um, that year. And they said, Vivian, we want to give you an award. <laughs> uh, this is a spot award from a discretionary fund that we usually... Don't, we don't have to give out to people, but you have such a good attitude <laughs> that we want to give you $2,000. I know, that's even a lot today. I was making like $14,000, you guys. This was like a tremendous amount of money. So, and ever since then, um, so then I knew, you know, this program worked. <laughs> And to this day, I used to be bosses of people, and sometimes I still am. And the one thing you cannot pay for is an attitude. You can't get a good attitude. You can't teach. Let me put it that way. You cannot teach a good attitude. Somebody has to come with it. Um, I can teach you how to do something, but I can't teach you how to do it with joy. And they taught me how to do that. They taught me a good attitude. My sponsor taught me how to do that by giving it to God and just being willing to do those two things that I thought were so ridiculous, showing up on time and smiling all day. So I, I pass this on to you. It works. Um, try it for 30 days. As they used to say, if you don't like it, we'll refund your misery. <laughs> and then just, um, what was the other? Oh, I, the other one is too, that is too long to talk about. But I will say that Everything in here that I gave to God, everything started to go well. The things that I held on to, in other words, I thought, I'm not giving this to God because God may not want me to have it. And number one for that me was, for me, was relationships. Because I just thought, you know, God may not want me to get married. And that is just not okay. <laughs> so I spent years not giving this to God. And I had the worst 
I couldn't even call them relationships, just like <laughs> encounters. <laughs> um, it just blow-ups for years until one day it occurred to me that God couldn't do any of a worse job than I had. It would be really hard. <laughs> Why not give him a year and see how he does? So I stopped trying to make things happen. Like I stopped calling um, the, the other guy. I, I didn't um, try and tell you my whole story at once. Yeah, and, and the worst parts that was my favorite let me tell you the worst parts of my life because if you're going to leave I want it to be in this first date not later when I'm emotionally attached to you and that turns out to be not a good way to get to know someone <laughs> um, not a healthy way of going about things so anyway I have now had um, actually two marriages my first marriage um, I'm a widow uh, I had a great first marriage and that, that ended in death and you guys I did not have to break my abstinence over it um, it is absolutely the worst thing that's ever happened to me probably the worst thing that ever will happen to me it's absolutely indescribable um, the pain but I went through that abstinence I didn't stop going to meetings I was pretty mute so if anyone's going through that I just kept my feet my sponsor said just don't stop going to meetings it, uh, it wasn't like I had I I had the energy or the ability to really talk much. That's my five, thank you. Oh, wow, what a cute little sign. So, um, but I went through that absolutely, and then, and then years later, um, and this is why I go to the program of Al-Anon, I, I was able to meet someone else. And this is from, uh, and he is a wonderful husband, Charlotte will attest. She just nodded for, for the recording. He is, um, <laughs> I've been really, really lucky. These are two things that I did not know how to do that were very important to me. One was work, uh, another is relationships. And I try and be a kind and loving wife. I try and use the amends a lot. Um, the persons that I live with, you will get, of course, the brunt of my character defects. And, and also, they put up with it more. You know, my husband puts up with my character defects more than anyone. So when I am in the wrong, which is um, not infrequently, but not to a terrible extent, um, I apologize. And he's always so nice about it. He's always so, uh, oh, you know, like, for what? Or, or that's okay. And I think, oh, God, he's perfect. Um, but this is something that I was not able to do before. I, I, the, all the things that are happening in my life now, when I came here, I was not able to do. I was not... Oh, okay. I was not able to make a living. I was, um, there's a page on the bedevilments. I was a prey to my emotional nature. Um, I was not able to feel that I was useful in life. And all of this did relate to the eating. I think it, this is so much bigger than just eating. It's like eating is my solution to how to live life, but it's because I don't know how to live life in all these other areas. And it just so happens that my chemical makeup is that sugar calms me down. Eating soothes me. It makes me want to go to sleep. And I always want to go to sleep. <laughs> if I could be in bed like 24-7 and like not see the world I, without program, I probably would have done that. And then imagined all the wonderful things I was doing. Because I lived in non-reality fantasy. Like everything that was happening in my head was real to me. But it really isn't real. And I, and I knew sort of that it wasn't. And anyway, it was this big conflict. But... Today, I live a really healthy, healthy life. I sponsor um, 11 people. I, six, of them are, six of them are in OA. 
they're doing great. The way uh, the way I sponsor people is um, if they if they have their first year, then they need to call me um, Monday through Friday. I do need to see them at least once once a week. Um, they have commitments at at um, the same meetings. Um, just like I do. I mean, I still, right now, I go to four meetings a week. I have commitments at one, two, one, two, one, two all of them right now, four, four commitments. I talk to my, uh, my sponsors, and, um, and I do what they say. You know, the key to being, knowing how to be sponsored and knowing that this is not something that I am, this is actually a decision I'm making. I am not in the cage. And when I take my sponsor's direction, I'm actually doing what I promised myself I would do, which is to change my own actions, to change my experience in the world, to change a problem I have. I'm going to do what somebody um, asked me to do who has experience not getting out of that or not doing that, no matter how silly it may sound. Um, But if I do everything that she tells me to do, I will be able to fool myself by not doing the few things that are going to change my life. Because <laughs> if I pick and choose from what my sponsor says, my unconscious will just glom onto the things that are going to keep me stuck because of fear and sloth um, to my character defects. So I just say yes to If I give her a problem, I just, whatever she says, I say yes and I do it. And I think that's why I've had um, a lot of success and why I'm still here. So... I'm gonna, I think I feel like I'm over. So keep coming back, and I, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. This is a time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Also, I'll repeat the question for the podcast. Okay. Does anyone have a question? Yes, Atusa. What happens to your relationship with God when you have I hated, okay, the, the question was, what happened to my relationship with God when my uh, husband died? I hated God. Um, it says in the 12 and 12 that we will, or the big, I think it's, I think it's the 12 and 12. Um, instead of the big book, that there will be times where we are angry at God or are not right with God, and it says, to, don't worry about that, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but do not worry about that. Uh, just resume later what you know to be good for you. And that is pretty much what I did. It did not even, I had been mad at God before. It did not worry me how angry I was at God. Um, I knew God could take it. I guess, I guess my God is big enough. I know God can take it, but I... I remember that I did a, um, I spoke at the birthday party like right after my husband had died because it had been booked a long time ago and I didn't realize how much it would take out of me. And somebody said, I remember you sharing at the birthday party and I stopped sharing for like a couple of years after this. She goes, you were talking about how you wanted to put a red hot poker up God's ass. (laughs) (laughs) And that was exactly how I felt. And it was just, just see, I can't, it's indescribable, the anger and pain I, I had at God. So, but what happened was, so I went through um, the, so you, you may wonder, how did I get over that? My, at one point, I was feeling, um, my husband had been, had been gone over a year, and I was feeling even worse. 
he was Jewish and they have the, if you're not a Jew they have this thing called the unveiling which is like only the Jews could wreak even more misery out of a funeral <laughs> it's like they had two funerals and at the second one where they unveil the tombstone you're really awake and of the pain that I felt was just I thought I don't care how much money anyone ever gives me I will never do this ever again but uh, so the pain had gotten more intense and I said to my um, my AA sponsor um, I think I should take antidepressants because I don't think God wants me to feel this terrible and she said well you can do that but I won't be able to sponsor you because I have no experience in it why don't you go to more meetings oh and I I when, when I was grieving, I had like, I, I had little to no energy. I, I Basically, if breathing weren't involuntary, I would have stopped breathing. But I just went, okay. And I did. I went to more meetings. I went to more fellowship. Um, you know, all meetings. I didn't stop going to OA meetings ever. And, and two and a half weeks later, God lifted that feeling. That tremendous, indescribable feeling of pain and anger that is comparable. Death is only comparable to death. I can't tell you what it feels like unless you've had death in your life. And then I don't need to tell you because you know. It was lifted. It went away. God lifted it and that changed my relationship with God again. Yes? I understand you once sold an engagement ring. Oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you that story. Okay, so I was um, I was I was absent about for you know a little less than a year, uh, so I can't even blame it on not being in program. But I obviously had some work to do on my character defects, so I was living with two roommates, and one of them, her name was Kathy. She was this rich girl from um, Central America and from Costa Rica in fact and she had her roommate's uh, her mother's engagement ring and she was wearing it and one day she lost it and she, she couldn't find it and she told us in the, um, you know, as the two roommates if you find the engagement ring tell me so one day I'm vacuuming the apartment and I hear <laughs> and if you've never run a vacuum that's the sound of something's in the vacuum <laughs> and, and so I was like oh so I went over and I was like oh there's the ring I was like Kathy Kathy and she wasn't there yeah. and two little horns sprung out of the back of my head <laughs> and I just thought you know I'm she's so rich and I'm so poor and Nobody will ever know if I take this because I'm such a goody two-shoes. No one will ever suspect me. I, have any of you ever thought that? So, and I ended up putting, um, so I had a lot of self-pity and um, fi- fear of financial insecurity. And, my, and I put it in, um, in my purse. I, put it, I wrapped it in a tissue and I put it in my purse. Now, I felt really terrible about it, though. And so it took, and I was on the bus. It took me a while to go get it appraised at a jewelry store. I, I finally went to the Fox Hills Mall, which is now the Westfield in Culver City. And I went inside there, and there was a jewelry store. So I took out my, now, by now the Kleenex is pretty dirty. I took out my dirty Kleenex with the ring, and I showed it to the jeweler, and I said, I'd like this appraised. And he goes, why aren't you wearing the ring? I was like, yeah, I didn't know. And he's like, 
most people wear their own rings. It's like, oh my God, he suspects me. And <laughs> I said, I don't know. You know, I don't like to wear it. I like to keep it safe. Like, just tell me how much it is. So he's like, hmm. And he takes the ring and he, with his loop, he goes in the back and he comes out and he says, this is a fake diamond. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I stole a fake diamond? I went to all this trouble for a fake diamond? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. He goesn't, you know, I, you know, I'll give you like, I don't know, $50. For it. I was like, forget it. Give me the ring back. So I took the ring and I thought, oh my God, it has been months now since we vacuumed many times in the apartment. So I couldn't just throw it back on the rug. So I didn't know what to do with it. So I carried it around for a couple more months. And then I was on the bus in Westwood and I saw another jeweler. So I went across and I thought, let me get a second opinion. Let me get a second appraisal. So this time I was smart and I put the ring on my finger and I walked in because <laughs> I didn't want to think anyone to think I'd stolen it and I I said I'd like this appraised and so the woman she she took it she appraised it right in front of me and she's like you know I'm sorry but this is a fake diamond and I was like oh my god she goes but it looks like the prongs have been moved it looks like somebody took the diamond out of here the original diamond and I was like oh my god that snake in the fossil mall he stole my diamond <laughs> and so it had been so so he so I went back to I was oh my god so I went back to the fossil mall and I said you stole my diamond and he's like do you have a receipt and I go you didn't give me your receipt he's like get out of here and I and I've since talked to someone who was at a meeting who said oh they do that all the time in the diamond business that happens so be careful so anyway I thought what am I going to do so I did not know what to do at this point and I uh, I was all again a bus got off the bus I was looking I was in Santa Monica I saw this big blue trash can and I just threw the diamond in there I just threw it in there because I didn't want anything to do with it anymore okay so then years later I'm talking to my sponsor and my I, about something with financial insecurity. She's like, "Have you done your amends? You have a lot of financial insecurity." And I was like, "No, I haven't done this one. I had I had put off doing this amends because I it was too scary to me." Kathy knew like, "Um, all my parent, uh, my parents, parents, friends, friends, friends." She was not a random. It would have been like Vivian the thief. Like everyone would have known I was the thief. So. But I knew that it was time. And I remember being um, on my white dotted Swiss Laura Ashley bed with um, my white princess phone on the wall next to it. And for those of you who are not around, there used to be phones used to be big and like on one on the wall, that was pretty sweet. It was like I could talk like next to my bed while I was falling asleep. So I picked it up and I dialed Kathy's number and I told her what happened. And she said, Oh my gosh, she said, I, I tore that carpet up. I looked underneath, um, I looked underneath it, and she goes, and I never would have suspected you. And I was like, yeah, I know. And she goes, and, and I would have been so angry at you, except recently I found Jesus. <laughs> and I, I forgive you, and I am not going to do, and I'm not going to tell anyone. And she said, not only that, my parents have lost all their money. So they had gone broke, and she said, I am going to give, you, give them the money that you said you were going to pay me to them and not tell them where it comes from. And my sponsor had made me um, 
she found she said she went to her husband and said, How much will a ring like that cost? And I was like, It's just normal size, it's three thousand dollars. Again, I'm making I'm making like fourteen thousand dollars a year. Like, that ring will be three thousand dollars and you need to pay her back the whole sum. And I thought, How am I gonna do that? But I told Kathy, I'll, you know, I, I'm going to pay you $3,000. And I really, to this day, don't even really know how I did it. We showed up at Denny's three times, and I just gave her $1,000. I just took it off the top of my paycheck three times. And I really don't even know how I paid her back. And I don't really know, but I did. I paid her back the $3,000. From that day forward, I have gotten the promise, um, uh, finance, fear of financial insecurity will leave us. I, no matter how poor I've been, no matter how much money I've had, I don't worry about money at all. I know God will take care of me no matter what happens. I don't have to re- think of what could happen in the future and play that out because I know whatever happens, I'll figure it out with God. It's fine. I don't need to worry about it. And I know it's because of that amends that was so hard to make. That's the story. <laughs> that took up a lot of time. Oh, yes. So why don't you tell us about your parents? My parents, oh my God. Okay, so I had a terrible relationship with my mom. Uh, my, I would basically just, I really did not have a good relationship with my parents, but I would basically call up and ask them for money. It's like, hello, I need some money. Uh, Hi, I need some more money. Hello, I spent some money. And I, I, so my, and that was about all I would talk to them about. And my sponsor said to me, we are self-supporting our own contributions. You cannot do that anymore. And she said, why don't you call your parents every week? Because I would only call them when I needed money. I wouldn't even call them on a regular basis. And, and she said, I want you to call them every week and, and ask them how they're doing. You know, think of somebody else. And think of a few things in your life that are non-controversial that you can tell them about yourself. Because uh, I was like, what do I talk to them about? If I don't ask them money, what do I say? And she said, you know, just think of a few things and ask them how they're doing. You don't have to be on forever. Five or ten minutes is okay. And so I, um, I was also, I spent too much money at that time, too. I, I didn't, I couldn't figure out why I thought I was living so, like, under the, under the radar, but I had these big credit card bills. And then one time, then it finally occurred to me, I'm spending more than I make. Wow, that was a revelation. I'm spending more than I make. And I started to pay back my credit card bills. I remember writing to them saying, I can only afford like $20 or $25 a month. And then actually accepting it, which I was shocked. I thought they would write back and say, no, forget it. That's way too little. You know, they'll accept, or at least when I did it, anything you would tell them. So I, I paid them back every month. And I was meanwhile calling my parents and not asking them for any money. And just asking them how they were. So one of the little news items I had after, and I'll wrap up. One of the little news items I had after a couple of years was, oh, I paid my, my paid my one of my credit cards off. I thought that'll be that's a good news item to tell my parents in our weekly call. So I told them that, and, and then the next week I called again, and my mom said, you know, your father and I have been talking about this, and we're so proud of you that you paid off that credit card all by yourself. We're going to pay off the other one for you. And I asked my sponsor. She said it was okay. <laughs> and, and it had never even occurred to me to ask for that. That's the spiritual change. It had never occurred to me for them to do that or to ask for that or anything. And later on, they were, they were, 
divesting of some money um, for estate reasons, and they said, here, we want to give you and your brother um, some money. And I said, you know, I don't need it. And I, you know, I hung up the phone. I thought, this was different. Like, later I reconsidered. And I <laughs> but my first reaction was, you know, I don't need it. And I hung up the phone. That is the spiritual transformation I had from calling my parents and um, doing these amends. I became someone who was not a taker anymore. I was self-supporting and I was okay with the, whatever level I was living at. It was okay with me. That's, um, and, and to this day, I try and be a kind and loving daughter. I will tell you, my, my relationship with my mom is not perfect. She's not someone you can get really close to. She's very cool and distant. But I'm kind and loving, and now she's going through, um, she's getting, like, dementia or something because she doesn't understand, like, what, um, everything that I tell her anymore. And she can't remember everything I tell her anymore. And now I'm going through surrenders of, like, this is, I'm trying to help them, but at the same time, I know it's their life, and they get to do what they want to do. That's another thing that I had to learn in program is it's not my right to take in over anyone else's life because I think that I'm going to do something better for them. It's their right to do whatever they want with their life, and I help them as they want to be helped. Not only does that give me a lot of peace, but um, I can't make anyone do anything that they have the power to do. I can only, I'm can only powerful over my own life. And if somebody, like, if my parents want to um, stay where they are and, you know, die on the kitchen floor... <laughs> Many people have. It's not a bad place to go. You know, it's not, I cannot force anyone to go to a retirement uh, place or anything like that. And it's not my place to. So, so I have a great relationship with them t- um, today, as good as I can. You know, she's not my best friend. She never will be. But, um, but I can say that I'm proud of the actions that this program has asked me to take. So that's it. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you.